0: Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with Fasterskier.com. We've got a banger of an episode for you today featuring American athlete Gus Schumacher, fresh off a top 15 finish on the Tour de Ski. And we run through the past two stages and the roller coaster performances from U.S. superstar Jesse Diggins. We'll be back in a minute. Lighter, better, faster. The new Speedmax Helium Ski from Fisher is the ultimate in race ski technology. The Speedmax Helium Skate Plus features a bidirectional air core and a redesigned World Cup tip, helping this revolutionary ski weigh in at less than 950 grams. Paired with the new Speedmax Boot, Fisher's Speedmax Helium Skis keep you staying stronger during your next long ski and can help you drop time during your next big race. Learn more about the new Speedmax Helium system at FisherSports.com. Remember, skiing isn't a lifestyle, it's life. Oh my goodness, there he is. is.
1: There's the youth. Look at the youth. What? Where to put my (laughs) mask? (laughs) I
2: took a a funny, I have a funny, like, um, when I see Gus's youthful face, I almost feel like once we were having a training camp in, in California and, um, we were out for a run, a trail run. It was in Yosemite actually. And there was this guy, like, I think it was probably like, this was his biggest life goal is to do this hike in Yosemite. And then we came running by and he was so moved. He's like almost started crying and he's like, starts slow clapping. He's like, future of America, you boys, you boys are the future of America. (laughs) like slapping us on. So like when I see, well, now we can't see Gus's face as as much, but that's fine. It's a podcast, but there's the future of America right here.
1: What was this?
2: (laughs) It's not important. It was a dumb story, but regardless, we're psyched to
0: have you. Did you tell the guy that you were Canadian?
2: No. You know what? Why, why ruin it for him? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's no point to ruin it.
2: We are the future of America. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, um, yeah. Um, it looks like Gus is uh, taking a tour of the hotels of Val de Fiemme. Um, yeah, but, it looks uh, exactly like the hotels of Val de Fiume that I've <laughs> been to seventeen times more, like thirty times in my life. If, he, if he, Gus, if you open one of the, uh, you open one of the doors, and like a just like a, a, a tidal wave of blood like comes out, like the yeah, shining. Yeah. we'll, and, and we'll, we'll slowly.
1: we'll 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 report back to the world
0: for you yeah um (laughs) (laughs) well um yeah maybe i can i can do a quick intro for gus since uh please do he's, he's not quite my neighbor in anchorage but you know he does uh sometimes post uh trail reports on our our local uh trail report website so that's uh that's a big positive. Um, Gus Schumacher is one of Anchorage's finest talents. Um, he, uh, he won a junior world championship, uh, a couple few years ago and has been on the U S ski team, uh, skis with the Alaska winter stars team, um, and has, uh, notched I think a number of top 20 results on the World Cup at the you know tender age of I don't know it's Gus like Gus, are you 20 21 right now looks like maybe he's uh he's frozen and has left us but I'm just gonna keep this intro going and maybe maybe he'll come back I do want to say that um the first time that I wrote about Gus Schumacher I was looking for this story today Uh, and I I, like, I think I gave a bunch of my reporting to Alex Matthews from faster skier because I was busy on something else, but Gus Schumacher was 13 years old racing at spring nationals. Uh, and I was working at the Anchorage daily news at that time. And this was 2014. Um, but I had just come back from the Olympics in Sochi and was helping out the faster skier crew at, at spring nationals at Kincaid park. And like, I remember going to Kincaid park and there was this like tiny munchkin kid. It was kind of like a joke. Cause it was like, what the fuck is this guy doing racing in us national championships, but also like, he was like good. And everyone was like, Whoa, this kid is like literally 13 years old. And we, we wrote a story about, like, I've never written any other stories about 13 year olds, uh, in my career as a sports reporter. And I, you know, I feel like uh, Gus has proven us to be justified, but, um, he disappeared. Um, so I don't but know. We can what keep it, going. I, I,
2: I, I'm <laughs> going to keep singing the praises of Gus because, yeah. um, of course, we've been following Gus Schumacher's career for a long time. Uh, but like you said, individual world junior champion, but also back to back world junior relay champion, which is a stunning stat. Although world juniors might not ring so loud like the Tour de Ski or the Olympics or the World Championships. It's an elite list of American people that have world junior gold medals. That list is one uh, individually, and that's Gus Schumacher, especially for the men. And, And what those boys did in the relay those two years was amazing. And I was there working with the Canadian team some of those years. And the swagger and good times that that crew brought to those relays, Ben Ogden was a part of that crew as well, Luke Yeager. And like Gus Schumacher, I mean, there's a bunch of guys. I'm not going to go through the whole list because there's just too many. But um, the fact that they're all stepping up onto the World Cup now and and popping out some great races every once in a while, which we'll get into here this week, is, uh, or this, this week, it's Tour de Ski midweek, uh, is great. I mean, so if Gus ever comes back, I've been to Italy. People that are listening and be like, this is a real shoddy production that's happening right now. Travel to Italy and try and get on the internet. The internet came to Italy 13 hours ago. Before that, it was like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what they were using. They they were poaching it from some neighboring country, perhaps. But the internet in Italy is is known to be just horrendous, even in 2023. But he's back. So we appreciate that.
1: There we go.
0: We uh we just spent five minutes introducing you guys, rest assured. Okay. Uh, you know, we 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 hyped you up pretty good. So um okay. thanks Thank you. thanks for joining us. Yeah um yeah Devin you want to kick us off here I don't I feel like uh you know sure never know how long Gus is going to last on this connection so you should know and I
2: think no exactly I think I think we try and and also Gus has a rest day tomorrow and three hard stages left so we'll we'll try and smash out some questions with Gus maybe go through the men's races get his perspective and then Gus can take off and chill and, and you and I can just smash through the women's field if that sounds good
1: yeah, and I don't have a team meeting, so I'm not as pressed for time as I thought. I thought it was tomorrow. for you, uh,
0: <laughs> you just have your – you got to have your three nightcap uh, cappuccinos and, uh, ris- like, uh, extra round of risotto before bed for
1: uh... – Yeah, my cigarette. Don't forget that.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, for sure.
1: No, but we're thrilled to have
0: – we're thrilled to have Gus
2: on the podcast. And, I mean, it's great to have a, a perspective of a racer that's at the Tour de Ski right now and at an infamous venue. I mean – Oberstdorf is, is definitely that it's an infamous venue. And I thought the men's racing this weekend was kind of like, well, I mean, my honest opinion was, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, and we're going to start with what I thought was an insanely exciting race, the 10 K classic where the U S delivered like amazing results. So we haven't seen results like this from, from so many men, like three men in the top 15 people that have not been race? following a, in a distance race. I think you got to go back like way back. I think you have to go back almost to like the 2002 Olympics to see results like that. So, uh, congratulations Gus. That was awesome to see. And it'd be great to get some of your perspective on that before we kind of like dive into what exactly happened in the race with the international field and everything. But my first question for you is what was the energy like before that race? I mean, you guys have been knocking on the door for a while. You've been top 10, you were top 10 in an individual race in the world cup as a first year senior. So it's not, it's not like 15th is something that you're probably savoring champagne and, and calling everybody in Alaska to ask for a holiday national or a state holiday. But, but still like, what was, what was the feelings in the team before that race? Did, did you guys have great skis? Did you have like really good energy or was it just a day like any other?
1: Yeah, we had good skis for sure. I had solid energy, and the like. I guess the the feeling coming into it, we didn't know we were gonna have good skis, and I guess you never know how your energy is gonna be. But Ben's been racing really well, and but a lot of us in Val the we were not very good. Especially myself, I really struggled. Like I got sick over Christmas, and that first weekend back was, yeah, just kind of a tough time to reintroduce intensity. Uh, but I tried to, like, refocus and make sure I nailed the pacing. Because I think, like, when I'm not in the best shape, if I mess up the pacing, it's just, like, the race is over. So I tried to make sure I was really relaxed. And it was nice to, like, be testing and really feeling like my skis were good. And you never know what it's like against other people. Like, obviously, that matters a ton. But it was nice just, you know, I'd be able to ski the course pretty well. And just, like, yeah. On an individual race, nice to focus on myself and how I was gonna ski it. And then, as far as the team goes, it was cool to be like getting splits to Ben and seeing that I was close to Ben, knowing that he's on fire right now. Uh, and then, like, afterwards, watching the highlights and seeing that that truly was like a time that stood up to those best guys, like watching Paul Goldberg's coach running alongside him at 8.3K. When it said minus two seconds to Ben Ogden, like you know, he was hearing you have two seconds to Ben Ogden in Norwegian, uh, which is really cool. And Ben and I watched that together, and I was like, dude, that's so, but that was fun afterwards. Yeah.
2: No, I must, it must have been. I think, I mean, to think about this, you were 15th, Gus, which is a great result in the Tour de Ski, but you're also seven seconds out of 10. So, I mean, it's a couple sneezes and then you have three guys in the top 12 or, you know, Hunter being an 11th was right in there too. It's funny you mentioned that about the splits with uh, Ben Ogden, because it was actually kind of like a media story with, with Emily Everson. He was complaining that he wasn't getting enough information and he thought he was bombing and, and back in 70th and he was pissed at the, at the staff for not giving information. So I was working with Norwegian TV actually the last couple of days and, and on the, on the, Production, we pulled up a bunch of clips of of Nostan, the, the men's coach, yelling splits at Emil Everson. And we're pretty sure what Emil was hearing, because we heard it loud and clear, it says, You're eight seconds down to Ogden. And I think mm-hmm. Emil, and that was the only information he got. And I think like <laughs> Emil probably was like, Oh my God, I'm eight seconds down to Ben Ogden. And it's early in the race. Like, man, I must be getting my ass kicked. And that is not the case. Ben brought the heat, but so did you. And so did the whole crew. And I I think that's amazing to see. And I, I was telling the story when you dropped out a little bit that when I was working with the Canadians during your, your heyday at world juniors, and just seeing you guys have so much fun together, uh, as a team and also bring some American swagger to international racing was something that I really, really noted. This crew really knows how to race internationally They come to Europe. With with that kind of swagger and and to see you guys have fun here at the uh, in the big leagues now too I think it it, it bodes well for the future so congratulations and uh, what a what a great day in the 10k how does it my next question is how does it feel to be like in the Tour de Ski right now I mean is this what you would imagine it to be and or, or are there any surprises for you competing in this of course I'm old so I think the Tour de Ski now is quite watered down compared to what it used to be of course because everything back in the day was way harder and blah blah but no but but re- that regardless it's it's i don't think listeners really truly understand like how hard it is to to get up for these races every day and if you have a tough day you've got to learn really quickly to put it behind you because you have a new chance tomorrow and you need to have all your energy with you to to put forth your best performance it's not like a World Cup weekend where you can have a couple of days to to pout about, you got to, you got to put it behind you yeah. and move on. So, but how is it, how this experience been for you for a young athlete in the tour to ski uh, right now?
1: Yeah, it's definitely your point about it being watered down is kind of true. It feels like, like my tour experience started with COVID. So there weren't that many people, but now that, I mean, coming into the third place, there's still, or today there were 77 starters in the men's field, which for a distance race is slightly under what it normally would be so like it's really not demanding enough for people to be dropping out because of the load i think at this point we'll probably have some sprinter dropouts but yeah like back in the day when they were doing the cortina point to point and like 30ks and stuff i know i mean it's good to have sprinters that make can finish it but uh yeah i do kind of wish it was more of like a, a feat to finish especially on like a non-olympic year i don't know what Maybe it will at some point, too. I've seen, like, people talking about that. But at the same vein, it's, like, it's nice that it's not, like, you can, it, it feels like normal World Cup racing, almost. Like, we have three-day World Cup weekends. And we're only four now in and had a rest day in between, so it's not crazy. And it helps that I didn't race sprint meets. Um, yeah. But, yeah, your point, too, about uh, refocusing is big. Because, yeah, if you like for me, for example, coming out of Balmester ranked like 50th or no, I was 62nd in the tour. My goal is to be top 20. Uh, it's like really hard to like come to terms with that and refocus but at the end of the day, it's still is just like another race and another shot and that's what, that's what I love about the tour is like every day, like you messed up you get another shot right away. You don't have to stew about it for a week, like on right a regular because you can't, you just like about it on the drive to the next venue and then you're geographically in the place the next race is so you just it makes it easier to be like oh now i need to think about how i'm going to ski this course it helps when there's success with yourself and in the team too like it's not like you definitely feed off ben and hunter and just like that vibe which is fun so i think yeah we're doing a good job of keeping each other's spirits high and hopefully the whole team can finish the tour
0: Do I mean, would you say like overall, like US ski team and the other teams that, you know, you guys are kind of interacting with, like, are people, is the tour like actually a good time or is it mostly just, and, and, you know, does it feel like you're on this like grand whirlwind road trip across, um, Europe or does it mostly just feel like a shit ton of like unpacking skis and wax remover and like moving from hotel room to hotel room and like kind of stressful because you're always thinking about the next race day.
1: Um, I mean, we're not packing skis or messing with wax remover. You got to shout out the techs for that. They make that really easy. So we just like toss our stuff in our bag and pull it out as quickly as it can. So it doesn't get moldy. But I think the tour is a more fun vibe with like the people we interact with. Just because you, you, like, especially, like, through the second, through the fourth stage, like, you start to get that, like, we're in this together feeling. Like, you're obviously competing against each other, but also you, once everyone gets deep into it, it's kind of like, oh, we're, we're, st- we're the ones that are still here. That's, it's just kind of fun to be coming back. and You just keep the ball rolling. Like, you never, like, really slow down. Like a normal World Cup, where you can sort of, like, decompress, go back to your own team. But this one is just, like, Tomorrow we're back at it with a training day, and we're we'll see everyone again. Just like yeah, everyone's in the same boat, which is kind of fun. And what did you think? I mean, like Oberstorf
2: is a is a venue that I've raced at a ton, and I mean it got a lot of got a lot of press here in Norway. But of course, it's like a ribbon of snow and it's green. But but that's that's normal. I've raced also in Oberstorf when there's no snow outside of the track, and then you snap your fingers and fifty centimeters dumps down but what was your what was your feeling racing in Oberstorf? like i mean there was a lot of talk with it was crazy soft i guess the first time you guys got there really warm then they decided to salt the course so it just tightened everything up it looked like bomber conditions from from tv anyway and uh that sort of thing but what 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 were your impressions of Overstorf? i mean it's uh it is a storied venue and and while the hills were kind of like neutered a little bit you're not on the world championship course but you never really are at the tour de ski either Um, it's kind of a unique course where there's those long flat sections that you really have to work and drill it. Like you, you can't fall asleep there. And the working sections actually are quite short, honestly. So it's, it's kind of a funny course like that, but that's my impressions. But what were were your impressions of uh, such a fabled location?
1: Yeah, definitely is neutered a little bit by the speed too of that icy, those icy salted conditions. And like yeah, at World Champs when it was slower, just because it was it it was warmer during World Champs when we raced. It ended up actually not being that warm, even though the grass was green and everything. Uh, but yeah, I mean the speed made it a little easier, which I appreciated. But at the end of the yeah, at the end of the day, you still just have to work hard. You glide out a little farther, but the race just ends up being shorter, uh, and maybe transitions matter more and stability on skis matters a little more uh yeah it's a cool place it's a really cool place it definitely makes me sad when like you see all the like uh lifts around there that and just like the ski culture that's really strong there you can tell it's like a ski town but with just no skiing right now in the middle of january and i know it's like that sometimes in the past but it's a little crazy but our conditions were good like they did a good job on the the tour tracks and i think those races were about as good as they could be
0: do you i mean i don't want to uh i guess i don't want to overstate it given you know what devin said about this being maybe traditional conditions and Oberstorf. but i also know like you're a pretty young athlete you have a lot of racing ahead of you and you're also i think involved with the protect our winners group. That's, you know, folks involved in winter sports that are doing some like climate advocacy. And I am curious, like, you know, when you show up to a venue and it looks like that, I mean, how much is that in the back of your mind? Like, you know, what this circuit is going to look like, say in like five or 10 years. Like, I know that's been a topic of discussion this week, I think too.
1: Yeah, we have been talking about it quite a bit. Uh, Just that like kind of coming to terms with, we're likely going to be racing at higher and higher altitudes as the snow gets more scarce in central Europe because like I haven't been world champs at Overstorp, there was a good amount of snow on the ground, but it was melting really quickly. And it, I mean, it just felt like summer I off the tracks. Uh, so yeah, I sort of worry about, I definitely worry about like being able to go to these like stor- historic venues that obviously are great. Like wh- when you have to move to venues, that are better snow, like say Lovino, has better snow and we have to race there more often. They don't really have a world cup course. They don't have a lot of history with that it's Higher altitude. Yeah. It's kind of a, the uncertainty I think is what scares all of us the most. We just wish to be skiing. Like it's, it's known for, you know, like what we expect and what we've seen in the past. Everyone wants to race at home and go on just like all the people before them. Um, yeah. And to not, have that in 10, 20 years or just like have to have it in the middle of the winter and no spring races would be. Yeah. It'll just change. I think it's a bummer.
0: One other question I'd love to toss out there is um, I'm really curious, you know, for you, like you're a guy who I think, you know, my sense is you prefer sort of longer races, harder courses, like you are an endurance guy. Um, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about what the transition has been like this year, racing to racing 10 K's um, with the equal distances, just because that's, you know, I think been a relatively like infrequent distance that now you guys are racing all the time and like curious how much, I mean, did you really spend a lot of time like training for 10 K's? Do you feel like that like race dif- distance is really different as far as like the kind of effort you're putting into it and and the pacing? Cause it, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's been, a, it's, it feels like it's been a really big difference uh as a spectator like watching it from the outside
1: yeah definitely skis differently and i've had to like learn how to ski the race i think phys- physically it's not that much different than a 15k like the example that i look at is the same people tend to win and the results are similar and even 10 to 20k the results are pretty similar but the pacing is definitely different and I sort of struggled with that in the first couple of 10k individual starts like Ruka and Lillehammer. Lillehammer was a little better. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a new thing for us. And I'm sure some people adapt to that pacing change better, but it's a, it's a faster pace. I don't, there's not much more to say about it than that. I think I'm still learning about how to best pace it for myself, but at the end of the day, like, the people who are skiing smoothly and with good technique and have good skis and are fit are going to do well and on any kind of any distance, I think.
2: I'm going to take the opportunity to smash through what happened in the 10 K and Gus, feel free to like comment on it, but we can move on to the 20 K and have more of a discussion on, on that race. Cause I have a lot of questions about that, but just for the listeners. So people bear with me, I'm just going to rant for a little bit. People that didn't watch it or just watched it and want to know what our hot takes were. I mean, Johannes Hasel Klebo wins and he smashes the field, winning by 12 seconds. And it sounds like, Devin, why are you saying smashes the field? Because when the race is 21 minutes and just like 2138 and you win by 12 seconds the way he did, that's a real beatdown, honestly, in an individual start race like that. It was there's no chinks in Klebo's armor right now. He he looks incredible. I mean, he's descending like a total boss his technique on the climbs is unmatched and, and he's a master of the flatter terrain as well. So a great race by him. Kruger though, second, what a, what a classic race by him. And, And you could tell from the early splits that he was just charging high position and drilling it. So really cool to see Kruger back up there and also skiing classic well. And I think this is a result like this Gus, like I think this is important for younger athletes like yourself that are on tour to, to recognize, I mean, this guy like Kruger, is all over the place in classic. And it wasn't that long ago that he was a pile of hot garbage in, in classic races internationally. And look at him now. <laughs> he, he was amazing in Muster, but he's great at altitude. He has a V2 max. It's he's the highest v max in the field. So he, he's a total beast, but, but today his technique was also on point. Oh, not today. Sorry. Yesterday, his technique was on point and he, he's right up there in second, which I think is pretty inspiring for, for some guys that, that maybe, yeah. Feel like sometimes, like, oh man, this is never going to turn or whatever. I I think Kruger is a a good inspiration for that. Tonseth rounds out the podium, full Norwegian sweep again, as we've seen pretty much every race this winter. They're at a great level, but when they ski like they were skiing now uh, in that 10K, I mean, it's they were just at an incredible level. And that's what makes Ogden in sixth that much more impressive to me because the guys that are around him, like most B in eighth, most B's been like top 10 in pretty much every World Cup he started, the young Norwegian. Oslo a year older than you Gus and he's just like totally lighting it up and and Benny just like put the boots to him so really cool like I said earlier we had three three uh Americans in the top 15 which is a huge day huge huge day and congratulations again for that and um yeah that's kind of what I thought
0: about the 10k I, I gotta interject a couple things I mean one is and and maybe Gus could I mean Gus you had a really solid race yourself. I, I wanted to, you know, particularly note Hunter Wonders, uh, finishing 11th. Cause that guy, I mean, the, you know, we've seen him, um, in international r- racing over the past couple of years, like he was at world championships and Overstorf a couple of years ago, but, um, then last season kind of had a kind of a tough, I think few months, like didn't make the Olympics then uh, was racing, I think in the U S shipped back over to Norway and was like, part of this crew of Americans that went down with COVID and like did this whole trip to Europe didn't get to race at all um and then I you know I don't know you know it sounded like it wasn't clear what his plans were going to be after last season but to see him racing again and, and racing at this level is is pretty awesome um and then I just really quickly like I think we need to give 30 seconds to the absolute dumpster garbage and all other kinds of fires that was the television production of this race just to continue. I mean, like if I am Bruno Gruyere, I am cutting my sponsorship of of Fist Cross Country because clearly, like the guys in the television production truck were like drinking German beer and watching biathlon instead of actually producing the race. Like this was this was in an, an, an utter embarrassment, like I don't understand how the folks that are spending money like to advertise with this and to buy rights to these races like are to- like are tolerating it. It's it's like it's crazy. And I, I just think, you know, it it takes a lot to like piss me off. Uh, but the, but like watching this race, like really pissed me off, like they didn't show the finish of like Parmikoski. they were like showing random like shots of like the snow and it just was like, what the actual fuck is going on here? I hope that someone who's listening to this podcast um, has an in with uh, Eliash, the fifth president and can, can, you know, register the fact that like, they're telev- I like they're televising this sport like it is minor league baseball or something and it it sucks and they need to do better um and then the other thing i really w- quickly wanted to say was i loved watching ben Ogden who had like you know two hours it felt like uh sitting in that leader's chair because the leaders chair like everyone in oberstorf like you know looks like they pulled off a great race given the circumstances but i think they forgot to have a leader's chair and someone like five minutes before the race was like oh fuck we need a leader's chair and they like went out and just got like a fold like all the other races it's like you know this like plush comfy like chair with like animal skins and shit and this was literally like a folding chair that ben ogden got to got to sit in so i i just i wanted to shout that out i thought it was pretty funny i <clears> know <throat> yeah, that's amazing and
2: it's true the production it was just like Ranch Fest this time, and and Nat, you covered exactly my feelings on it, uh, articulately. Um, and Hunter Wonders, of course. Like I, if people don't get pissed. Like this was a huge race. I'm not trying to blow through that. It was, it was an outstanding. But I, I just think all you guys did such an outstanding race, and it was super inspiring for for Dorcas's like me to see. I think it's so cool to see the U.S. and, and hopefully Canada can get there here soon on the men's side. Like really making names and and racing up there with the big boys because you guys are. You guys are the next one. So inspiring. Speaking of the next ones, 20 K skate, what a mess. It's been like that so often in, in overstore on this course, because when you have fast conditions and all that flat terrain and no real Hills to make any damage, guys will try for like seven, 800 meters. Like we saw Musgrave do we saw shoot off do that a little bit too. And then they just look around and everyone's there and they're like, screw this. And then it's back to like level two skiing for a while. Um, that said it's, incredibly nerve-wracking to ski in Oberstdorf with a bunch of yahoos all together in this big group and everyone knows they need to be positioned well for that final climb. So what was it like for you guys to like be skiing in that mayhem, uh, the whole way around? Like how, how did you feel today's race went? And was it what you expected? Did you expect it to just get together and be like a total, shit show essentially like it was or or were you expecting some of the guys to try and make some make some moves and really try and distance distance themselves
1: yeah i wasn't totally sure after yesterday's like clavo was obviously very strong and probably if he had really pushed it tape to tape he could have opened something up but since the tour that takes more energy and he knows he can win either way uh, but yeah, I started with a pretty solid group. Poland was leading us and like we had a fast pace and then eventually I saw the leaders up ahead, like going pretty slow and I could see what was happening and like slowed down a little and then let the third group catch up and kind of bring me into it. I was struggling a little bit with kind of the flat skiing, actually, like, uh, like the big glide outs. Like I don't, my skis are maybe not the best uh but because that made made the l2 skiing in between (laughs) a little more like right on the threshold line which gets hard for the end of the race and you know those leaders are up there just like walking the dog but yeah it was definitely uh it was nice for me then that that race stayed together well because i could sort of damage control for myself and uh yeah i just i feel pretty comfortable in corners in general and i don't know somehow like the the World Cup is a bunch of yahoos kind of, but we, uh, I've found that a lot of these sketchy corners end up being not so sketchy just because people tend to be good at being aware of space and maybe the last lap is a little bit different when people are getting frantic. And even like the uphills are maybe worse, just that everyone wants to be a little farther towards the inside or more behind this person than this person and skis get stepped on a little. I think maybe sure got stepped on in the final hill. Someone did. Uh, But yeah, I think people skied pretty well. and It was an interesting race. I would have liked to be up fighting with the front because that is a lot more fun than just sort of hanging on and trying to ski as relaxed as possible. But yeah, I think that'll come. And it was nice to see Ben and Hunter up there right in the mix too at the finish. And Scott
2: I about that. Like I, I want to just like, because I know how, I know how much you love the techs and everyone loves the techs and the techs are really the unsung heroes of this whole thing. Even when they give you like the world's worst skis that are just the pile of hot garbage, you know, they work 16 hours that day to deliver those shitty skis and they feel horrendous and they're going to be beating themselves up for like the next 10 years. They're going to bring this up like 20 years later. Right. Uh, like I've experienced that with some technicians. So like, we're not going to like hang techs out to dry, but you mentioned that your skis, you didn't feel like your skis were like running super, super hot today on the flat train. You weren't alone. You weren't alone in that today. Yeah. Oh, I saw absolutely. that on the, a, number, a number of athletes in the men's field, but also the women's field as well, where it really mattered. And yesterday
1: too. Yes. When did you yeah. actually seemed big the last couple of days, sure. which yeah. surprised me a little bit. For sure.
2: Yeah, for sure. But look, wh- when, what part, like, when did that kind of realization hit you? in the race where you're like, oh my, oh my God, like I'm working a little harder on the flats than I need to be. And I'm definitely working harder on the flats than some other guys around me. Um, was that like a surprise to you or did you feel that you maybe have made like a wrong ski selection or was it a, uh, you picked a ski with like a a grind that just got gunked up you think, or like, do you have any, insights into that because I think don't, people don't really understand especially when it's hard and fast and everyone's talking about like oh yeah it's really like locker and bomber conditions but man when it's dirty like that or when it's it, it's kind of like transitioning from rock hard to breaking up just a tiny little bit it, it can change quite a bit and and that yeah. feeling as an athlete man like I've been there you do like one lap your skis are good then your skates be slowed down and you're like this is not happening to me and you realize like you can't just give up and mail it in you've got to fight through it all and with that knowledge that your skis aren't running as hot like when did that when did that hit you
1: yeah i mean in hindsight they i think they slowed down around halfway they started to make the transition and for you guys and the other ski nerds out there i was on i ski rosie and i was on some new s3 orange bases which is the new white base and then on, on an a11 grind, which like I told my tech, Carl afterwards that they weren't the best. They slowed down a little bit. And he kind of said, hmm. And then that Zach Ketterson's skis also had slowed down after one block. Uh He was on black bases, which makes a little more sense that those would slow down faster. I think just because of the durability. I don't know so much about them. But I, I think my ski selection was solid. I don't know entirely what happened. But they weren't honestly horrible. In the, in the race, I'm like, you know, my head's a little dumber. In hindsight, I can say it was like halfway that it slowed down, but I realized like kind of fifthish lap when I was all like. By then, I was really like kind of struggling to be on the back of the group, and I was like, "Wait, this might not be entirely me," <laughs> because I sort of like there were a couple of times I was getting tired where I wasn't pushing over the tops of the hills well enough, but there were a couple of times where I absolutely did and didn't get you know like the passing that I'd expect, and yeah, I think it's important to like. You can notice that, but especially in a tour, yeah, you got to fight through that. And at the end of the day, like 5% ski difference is a big deal in the World Cup, but if you're really feeling good, you can make it work, I think, sometimes, especially in this pack ski. So, yeah, I think, and yeah, like you said, the techs work super hard. And you get some days like yesterday where the skis are great. And then, you know, you make up for it with a day like today where the skis are not so good. And the days that are perfect, their body and the skis line up well and yeah i think i wish there weren't so many ski discrepancies i guess but uh that's how it is and you got to work with it but i do feel like the feel for other people when that happens too like out of their control and you gotta learn to deal with what you have i guess sometimes
0: um well Gus, uh, we know that, uh, we know that it's, uh, it's, it's getting somewhat late in, in Europe and as you know, a young guy on the U S ski team, you probably have a, an early bedtime. So we, we did want to give give you the out if you want to, if you want to take it, but also I don't know, Devin, if you've got any more questions to throw in there or or Gus, if you have any other, just kind of observations from the tour that you think, uh, um, Americans and other, other listeners might, uh, enjoy before you sign off here.
1: Yeah, Devin, if you don't have any questions, I'll just say a little piece. At peace. Yeah, give
2: her give her Gus. Give her. I'm so happy that you you jumped on. And we're gonna have to have you when we've got good internet connection. We can have like a real, real heart to heart and break down the whole season together. Cause it's always fun to get the perspective of, of young North American athletes, especially on the men's side of things that are like looking at distance distance skiing and that way. It's a, it's not an always easy, it's a it's a tough needle to thread i mean it's 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 tough and tight but you've got a lot of talent and it's really been fun to watch you racing back in more consistently into the top 30 and top 20 and stuff so keep giving her and uh, we're cheering for you loud but but then you can say the last the final word and we'll let you go but
1: thanks man yeah i mean uh yeah distance skiing is really hard and we are on the on the u.s men's team we're trying as hard as we can every weekend and we know like there's just the patience that's involved and someone gets hot and a lot of times that like creates a confidence that lasts i think we've done a good job of sharing that amongst each other and like that confidence uh sort of ripples through the team and lifts us all up and i think we've been seeing that in the last couple of days And that's really exciting and then also gotta like shout out the girls too for recognizing that with us uh because they're very good and i think Sometimes we like forget to recognize them. I think we as a team, I think we do a solid job of recognizing everyone's successes, but it can get easy to be like, Oh Jesse, you won, nice job. Um, but then like we do well and like on social media and and a team meeting and stuff, everyone's like super psyched. We were racing first and they'd show up to the venue and be like, Holy shit, that was the craziest race we ever watched. And that stuff it also goes a long way. And I think We've got a really good team atmosphere and just shout out North Americans, like it's fun to uh, chop it up with the Canadians afterwards and, you know, really root for them too, because uh, they're, yeah, we race with them and train with them too a little bit in the summer and yeah, speak the same language and stuff. So it's a fun atmosphere and I think we've got, all of us have a good thing going and where that was the grindstone doing what we could do
0: you guys got to get like some like make america great again stickers that you can like uh put on the canadian <laughs> uh canadian wax bus or something oh, I know, yeah i, I saw the like
1: norwegians did something to the swedish bus yeah, yeah we could do that maybe not mago but we could make fun of them for something there's a lot of things you can make fun of canadians for
0: no doubt yeah maple syrup beavers etc yeah Um, but that might make fun of bed yeah we gotta make i'm not not gonna take the
2: bait i'm not gonna take the bait i'm not gonna (laughs) take the bait (laughs)
1: all
0: right well well thanks gus it's great to have you hope you uh hope you have some more good races and stay healthy and uh yeah well hopefully we'll we'll see you again soon here
1: yeah me too thanks guys thanks buddy good luck see ya
0: when the best skiers in the world want to go faster, they turn to Fisher's Speedmax Helium system. The all-new Fisher Speedmax boots feature an enhanced carbon cuff to provide optimal torsional stiffness and increased power transfer to the ski. The refined inner shoe provides compelling fit and performance. Are you ready to find out how much faster this World Cup-ready combo will make you next season? Go to FisherSports.com to learn more about the Fisher Speedmax Helium System. Any more of the men's 20K you want to break down before we uh, get into some women's racing here?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll just break it down really quick. It was awesome to have Gus on the podcast. Thanks for the listeners um, for dealing with like some tough Tough internet and probably not the best sound you've ever heard, but you're used to that. You're used to hearing me like drop out and it's like, like a throwback. Sound. To, it's a throwback, exactly, exactly, totally. But yeah. it was really, really great, it got us to make the time. I thought I, I love hearing the excitement of of young athletes and especially at the tour de ski and uh, athletes that are making names and sorry, not making names, but like making waves and and taking names. So really cool to have them join us the 20k what are my total thoughts i kind of hinted at it earlier when Gus was here i mean i just think it's like a total shit show sometimes when the course is too easy and i know they're struggling with snow and it's great that they were able to have the courses what they are but like that big hill at about 2k goes so much further than where it went today and you just these guys tried a little bit that were you know, having amazing days like shoot off that coming all the way back from 30th and and also we saw, we of course saw Musgrave try a little bit too, but they realize it's just a futile attempt. And then it becomes kind of like a comfort cruise around here where everyone's just kind of jostling for position and it gets boring really. Like it's not that exciting. Cause you know, at least I know, maybe, maybe not everyone knows, but like someone with a lot of experience and knows the venue well sees the writing on the wall. They caught back up to Claybo super fast. And when that chase group also caught up to, to the group with, um, Kruger and Tom Seth, and you saw that they weren't working and they weren't doing anything because they knew this was, this was a useless thing. And they weren't going to get the distance they needed and wanted. You knew you could just put the race on fast forward if you could. And just like, yeah, okay, let's just get to the last hill. That said, big shout out to Scar, buddy. Like I know he's a, he's a friend of mine. So I'm like a real touch here for him, but Sindra was amazing. And he positioned himself absolutely perfectly. And I think there's no surprise that it's Clebo, Scar, Pellegrino on the podium. These are sprinters. They're used to skiing in traffic. They don't get their, they don't get their like buns in a knot with this. Like they know that, There's a lot of bodies. They know how to stay calm. They know how to find the lines and they're amazing descenders. And I hope people recognize that today. Pellegrino, Scar and Claybo were just on another level down that last big hill to position themselves, to slingshot them into the finish. So big shout out to Scar for being on the podium again, in a distance skate race. He's done this before when Emma Leverson won in Oberstorf a number of years ago, Scar was also second in the race. So big shout out and Pellegrino, another distance podium. And he said it in his post-race interviews here on Norwegian television, like, this was expected because he's a sprinter and he's, he's good in the, in this kind of terrain and also this skiing and traffic, but it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to deliver. The other thing too, even guys that had can't sprint themselves out of a paper bag, like Holland, even Mosby's not a very great sprinter. They're 11th and 12th. Like they knew to position themselves high when the race was going to be decided to see Holland. He was leading with like 500 meters to go, but he just, he just got nothing. He's got no sprint in him. Maybe it was those, seven hour skis you mm-hmm. were talking about last podcast but regardless he knew to position himself well when the race was going to happen so the norwegians come away with all their skiers in the top 12 uh Nyinga had to drop out he wasn't feeling that great yesterday it's a big loss he was sitting ninth in the overall tour uh just didn't have the classic race he was thinking in. just feeling crummy and and europeans and norwegians especially especially on the men's side they know to make smart right decisions if he wants to make the world championships the guy's won home and colon think about this people he's won home and colon the legendary the the most important world cup race of the season for distance skiing yet he's never started a championship he has zero starts in a championship for norway and now he knows if he wants to get starts in planitza he it's not enough to be like in the 20s or in the teens or and like sandbagging his way through the tour to ski he's got to make sure he's on top form for the races that are to come. And and if he is, then you know you're gonna see Denga fighting for podiums in, in Planitza. And that's that's what it's about.
0: I mean, Holland was twelfth today and he was the ninth Norwegian. And so there are two races worth of Norwegians that are going to get to start world championships races uh you know before they get to number nine right like you only get four starters in a world championship so um I did I did want to yeah I mean I I don't have too much to add I I did like watching Andrew Musgrave like at least give it a go you know like it's like otherwise you're just sitting there in that pack as an Andrew Musgrave with like two fast twitch muscle fibers knowing what's going to happen and you could totally watch him engage in this futile exercise with like 2k to go try to break pack apart and uh clibo just kind of sitting there hanging out being like cool dude that was a good try but um but i i you know i, I still respect i respect the game I, I like when you know people display at least like some amount of tactical intelligence like musgrave knowing that he's not going to win a sprint finish so i i appreciated that and um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I it, like. What are you going to do? I think we we need we need more snow. We need less carbon in the atmosphere. So, um, or or we need to be racing in Lavinia. So until we get that, like this is this is kind of what we're stuck with on the tour de ski. I guess I did actually want to say one more thing. I was curious for your thoughts on this. Um, just really quickly, they they did the pursuit start today. I guess based on the results of the 10k the day before, so you had really small time gaps instead of really big time gaps. I I, I thought that actually was like. I don't know. I think I, I don't feel too strongly about it, but I think it might've been more interesting to see like the actual race standings represented in this pursuit race. And then maybe it wouldn't have all bunched up into a big pack. But then again, you know, you have a different set of circumstances, a harder course, and, and, you know, it's hard to know that in advance and and when you're making the plans for these races. But I did think that was sort of an interesting quirk of what they did today.
2: Funny you brought that up because I've been working, I said this earlier in the pod with, when Gus was here, but I, I've been working with Norwegian television and sitting in studio with Martin Synby, uh, <laughs> uh the Norwegian legend who is opinionated. And, and we Former tour champion, to, former three times, like I think he's won, maybe not three times. He's won two or a number of times. He's won the overall world cup three times. He's a beast. He's like a total legend of cross country skiing and doing a really great job actually as an expert with, with Norwegian World Cup skiing on TV. I'm really impressed with what he's delivering because he speaks his mind and I think, and he's excited and he really cares. And I think that's that's what that's a, that just goes so long. But regardless of that, we talked about this today, actually. And it, it is crazy. And we both agree with you, Nat, like this should have been a pursuit based on the tour standings. Um and maybe even with a lighter course, maybe you would have seen guys a little more racing with their heart on their sleeves a little more and taking the risk, knowing that like any second gained is a second in the overall. And that could have changed the dynamic on the men's racing. That said, it froze overnight. It was rock hard and it's really flat course. So hard to know if that makes a difference, but I agree with you. It would have been. I would have liked to see it just been a pursuit off the overall tour standings. No question. Shout out to Antoine Cyr in 24th, another top 30 performance gaining some spots the rest of the canadians had a tougher day on the men's side of things and musgrave funny enough fell on the final climb at big climb i did see that yeah Yeah. and went on norwegian media and just unleashed profanities the likes you've never seen on live tv it was he was so pissed and so that that made for a good laugh in the studio there he was not happy felt like people were skiing like idiots and (laughs) um, trying to double pull past them where there was no room and, and took him out and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it's so space is limited. And this is how, how tight the margins are, you know, like Musgrave was feeling good. Solomon's too were running amazingly well on the men's. I don't know if you noticed that in the men's race, but like every lap shoot Musgrave they're like guys on Solomon's today were running crazy hot and like barely having to work. They were tucking forever. Musgrave knew he had great skis, we saw that when he tried his little dig there, but in the end, he, he was not able to be positioned and, and, and ruined a chance to, to have a better result than 20th anyway. But, uh, you, I wish you could understand Norwegian and see his interview. Cause it was like every, every second word was an cool. F bomb. Essentially. Maybe, it was crazy.
0: Maybe, maybe you could still understand the interview without speaking Norwegian. Oh yeah. He was pissed. the Norwegian word for. for yeah. 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 Um, so, but,
2: uh, but that's, that's the men's. I mean, now we're sitting here with the overall and, and th- this is, what's kind of funny. we got some emails about this too. So I thought it was kind of cool before we move on to the women's uh, to finish this up. But while I think the tour is kind of like really like defanged because essentially it's just two normal world cup weekends and then a couple races midweek and it's not that like intense. This is kind of getting what they wanted. Cause like, right now, man, it's tight and where it's tight Makes me really excited to follow along here. You have like Klebo, of course, leaving, and he's going to gain so much time with the sprint in the 10K Classic. But but regardless, right now, we'll just take a snapshot now. But you have these guys like Klebo, Goldberg, not the best up that final climb. Like they're not total beasts up that final climb. But so you have should Kruger, Tonseth. These guys are beasts up the final climb, and they're all there. And so, yes, all these names I mentioned are Norwegian, but they have different qualities. And I, And the fact that everyone's within a minute makes it really exciting. And we were also talking about this today. I'm so bummed that it's not a pursuit start up the final climb because like, this is a mass start. The last climb is going to be a mass start. So Klebo doesn't have to go out alone and be hunted down by a Kruger. So he doesn't need as much time. Actually, we can get into that later. We're already killing a lot of minutes, but regardless with the overall standings right now in the top 10, it's really tight and it's really fun to see these guys that are good. It's, you know, Paul's going to be good in the sprint in the 10 K classic, you know, Clay going to be good. Kruger, man, he's, he's firing on all cylinders, Tonseth, two great classic skiers, but these guys are so much better up the hill. So I'm, I, I'm enthralled. I'm definitely following closely and it, it's, it's a fun overall picture right now for the men's side, even though they all have the same race suit.
0: It's a, I mean, 11, 11 guys within a minute. And, um, yeah, I mean, Paroma's only 37 seconds down, too, so you've got one Swedish guy in there. But, you know, I think you're right. It It is time to get to the moment that almost everyone has been waiting for on this podcast, which is, you know, if we're going to talk about the women's race, I want to start by talking about Jesse Diggins uh, because I, I'm going to sort of spill the beans here. We can always edit this out if it's, you know, too touchy, but we were exchanging some messages in the past 24 hours and, and uh there was there was something of a consensus among this um large team of Devin Kershaw podcast co-hosts that uh Jesse Diggins really was skiing pretty pretty garbage-like and digging herself into a hole and really, you know, should be dropping out and Uh, then we saw some, some different stuff today and I, you know, I don't know, we could go through these two races individually, but I'm kind of interested to talk about, you know, I think a lot of American listeners to this podcast are probably curious to hear, uh, Devin's take on what's going on with, with Jesse. And, you know, obviously she really turned it around today. So we'd love to start there.
2: Sure. Let's start there. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, it was a great, it was a great day today. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like she moved up from 40th to 8th on today but what we can't lose sight of is she started the day in the overall tour 417 back and now she's 355 back so this 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 race today which was which was impressive don't get me wrong but remember like when you're hunting from the back okay there's bodies in front of you at all times so you're crazy motivated you saw Shudoff that I mentioned that he had a horrendous 10k classic, finishing 30th, and he made up a minute 10 or a minute yeah a minute 11, easily, like like w- with ease. And Diggins didn't make up a minute 11, but she did put 20 seconds on Parmakowski, who had a fantastic race and had to race a completely. This is where we all get confused on like these performances because Krista Parmakowski had a completely different race. Then then a Jesse Diggins who has nothing to lose and bodies in front of her all the time, A, to draft behind on the downhills and on the flat sections, and two, motivate her to get that next group, to get that next group, to get that next group. Whereas like Parmakowski had to be motivated to catch Frida, who started hard, and then not die like the two Norwegians did, and then try and attack Frida later in the race only to run out of gas up the last climb, and still... Diggins puts only 20 seconds into Parmakowski in 20K. Like it was a great performance, and everyone's like the social media, the like, whole like like the comeback kid, and here we are, baba. And I'm impressed with with her performance today, but I'm not that impressed. Like this isn't Davos here, where she won the World Cup in Davos. This is expected, honestly. And she didn't make that big a statement. Shoot off that made a bigger statement today than Jesse Diggins did and here's what's going to be a sensitive topic to me she's sitting 15th in the overall tour standings she's got two classic races coming up a classic sprint in plus eight it looks like and sunny and in, in valdefiam so it'll be good it'll be a good classic scheme and then a 10k classic before the final climb and i just i just think this is a chance jesse's going to finish this tour of course like she said it Number of times she's been like sparring with Norwegian media and saying that there's absolutely nothing wrong with her and she's feeling like a million bucks and it's things out of her control, which means skis. Let's let's just call it what it is. She she essentially thinks that her skis haven't been good enough till now. Um, but I've I've seen how she's been skiing, and I've also seen how she's skied in classic sometimes, and it doesn't look all that pretty sometimes as well. Maybe with better skis technically, but but she. She's looked shaky in some of these performances, her, her technique, her body language, her, like her facial, her face, like just the way she's skiing, like, even when she's having a tough day in classic, sometimes she's a fighter and she like, she's really like, you can just see this aggression out of Jesse Diggins. And I'm sorry when she was two Oh seven adrift in the classic race yesterday, she looked like horrible. I mean, yeah, she, she said she had no kick and her skis were horrendously bad with kick, but that said, it it didn't look good from out of the gun. And today she looked good. She was hunting. It's fun. It's fun to see Jesse put a performance like this. No question. Super fun. But to be honest, let's see how she does here in two classics, two classic races that are coming at you live. And let's see if this was what I said. It was an easy course, amazing skis. Solomons were running hot. Hurt. She's the number one athlete on Solomon, man or women. So she and it was a perfect day for that. The text did a wonderful job. We all saw that on display. But that motivation, when you have bodies in front of you, man, you just keep chasing, keep chasing, and you you really only put 20 seconds on someone that essentially skied and almost like an individual start. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it leaves something to be desired. I think this. That said, and I know I'm running on way too long, like normal, but I want to get your perspective. You know this idea because the Norwegian media was saying a lot, like, "Ah, Jessie should go home. She has a chance to win the world championship gold. Finally, finally, she has a chance to win an individual gold medal at a championship. What are you doing, fighting for 40th and 30th? Like you're not looking that good. Like save your energy. Be a professional. You got to be a professional. And and like, is this something you want to think? And they were asking her that. And there's so many news outlets in Norwegian Norway that Jessie was like losing her shit about this because so everyone was peppering her about this. Like, are you going home? Are you going home? Are you going home that she started like forgetting every bit of media training she's ever had in her life. And just answering Norwegian tabloids like kind of like sourly and like snarkly and sarcastically. And that's not what you do with any tabloid, especially not Norwegian ski tabloids. So this became bigger stories. And it was a real, it, it was becoming a kind of a circus, honestly. Um, but. The fact of the matter is, she does have a chance to win the gold medal, a gold medal individually at world championships in not that long. But if you make bad decisions, I'm not saying she's making bad decisions. I'm just generally speaking, if you make bad decisions, that those chances evaporate. So that said, she can't go home. She's not a European. What's she going to do? I just want to ask you about like when Norwegians were saying like, go home, go home, go home. I'm like, she can't go home people. What's she going to do? Go to Davos, lie in bed and cry and watch the races on TV and hate herself. Like that is not a recipe to get yourself back on track. So it's a really tricky situation for North American athlete in this right now.
0: Yeah. And I i mean, I i think I think you should rant on as long as you can about this, because, you know, people are not uh, people are not paying their uh, high podcast subscription fees to, like, listen to us recap every individual detail of a race that they definitely already watched because they're listening to this podcast. Right. And I think, you know, I, I think this is really interesting stuff. I mean, I, I. I don't know where I land on like what we've seen from Jesse Diggins the past few days. I I don't feel like I know Jesse well enough because I just don't feel like I'm close enough to the sport, but I I have a few observations. I mean, I think one observation is in the past like year or two, we've actually talked a lot about, you know, Jesse's decision-making and her work with the coaches and particularly like her tendency to go for a pretty grueling race schedule and i think if i recall correctly last year she got sick during the tour and raced through sickness during the tour and we were sitting uh we were sitting on the podcast being like what the fuck is jesse doing like there needs to be an adult in the room like reining her in and not letting her race herself into the ground because she's got the olympics to think of and then we heard from jesse again like well, I know myself, I know my body, I know what I need in my training. And like, I need these races to bring me up to where I am. So, you know, it was interesting seeing, and I, I actually feel like we've seen this a lot this year where like, we see a lot of people like in the Scandinavian peanut gallery, kind of like shit talking the racers. And I feel like it definitely goes like, we're see, we see them shit talk, you know, they're also shit talking the men and they're shit talking like, you know, altitude prep and Emil leverson and everything like that. But it does like take on a little bit of a unique flavor. I think when it's these Norwegian dudes or Finnish dudes in the case of Frida Carlson, like shit talking the women and their decision-making, like I think Frida got some tactical uh, criticism in her first race. And then it sounded like told this like Finnish guy, Issa Metse, like that he could go fuck himself or go pound sand or whatever. And then same, same with Jesse. And I, you know, I kind of feel like um I, I I look at this situation and I'm like, yeah, I kind of had the same questions last year. And yeah, I think Jesse looked really bad, particularly in yesterday's race, like, uh, like pale. And, and, you know, we kind of talked about that. Um, But then again, I mean, Jesse's 31, I think, and, and has been doing this a long time and has kind of like proven me at least to have my instincts about what she should be doing be wrong. And I guess I'm, you know, yeah, I think she's sort of proven her 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 ability to make the best decisions for herself. And until we see those really not being borne out for more than like one series of racing, like I'm inclined to give her the benefit of the doubt and say, I you know it it looks kind of rough, and I think she you know there's still some big question marks, like you said, after this weekend, but yeah. I mean, like, what is she going to do? And, and is she going to be better? Like, like, what is it about jumping out of the tour at this point that actually would better serve her than, than more races, even if she's not at her best, like she'd go and do interval training by herself. Like, yeah, maybe there's like less of a risk of illness. It sounds like there's some COVID going around, but I don't know. I mean, and I, and I also do like, in some respects, I do agree that like it's not a great idea to get into like a war of words with Norwegian tabloids or any tabloids. There's the saying of like, don't, don't pick fights with people who buy ink by the barrel. But I also like, I kind of love it. I kind of love that Jesse Diggins isn't like willing to just kind of roll over and be like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. Considering all my options, like being a total pro, like it's kind of boring when you do that. And the fact that she's like, you know, giving the shit back to like VG, like, why not? You know, it's like, give us a little more Petter Northug type, type antics, uh, on the women's side, you know, like, great. We're talking about it. We've been talking about it for 15 minutes on this podcast now. So I don't know. I mean, I, to me, it's like, it adds some drama. And I think it's really, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, Jesse's not in contention for the overall, but like, what can she do on the final climb? Can she be competitive in this classic sprint and either races in Val de Fium? So that that's kind of my take.
2: Oh, a lot to unpack there, but I mean, it's, <laughs> you're not getting a whole, whole lot of argument from me. I, 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 I agree. I mean, one thing I will say though, to, to she, cause last year in the tour, there was a lot of question marks. Then she got saved with races being canceled where she could catch her breath, relax, lower her shoulders and come into the Olympics ready to rock and roll. And we saw what that was about. She rocked and she rolled. Whereas in Oberstdorf, we saw her in races like the women's relay were like, Oh my God, this is tailor-made. Like we're winning. and not where I'm not American. The U S is winning in me- a medal. No question. Look, Diggins is in the hunt for that last, for that last, um, the on the anchor leg of that race. And she completely came unglued and had a t- tough, tough race because she just shot so many bullets out of her gun that the chamber was empty when she needed it most. So it, it's not that she, makes the best decisions every time and, and it works out every time. We have to remember that. <laughs> no one knows that more than me. Like I was there making the worst decisions week in, week out. My whole career was a worst decision, like in a lot of ways, because I was too cerebral and overthought things all the time. So like I know how tough this is, but but uh I thought it was just interesting to me when you started thinking about the drop because it was just like a cacophony in Scandinavia of digging should stop. And and I just I just couldn't help but think like people do not understand that this, this woman is away from her fiance. She's away from her family. Minnesota is a long way away. Even when she's in Minnesota, like home, her, her fiance lives in Boston. She's like has a place rented in like bum fuck Vermont at SMS. Like that's not really her house. Like yeah, I'm like she's getting just kind of and- like a nomad. Yeah. She's yeah. a, she's a, she's a total nomad, like all over the place. And, um, People don't get it. It's like if a Norwegian, Nianga, he's struggling. He knows he wants to be in his best to make the world championship team. He knows if he makes the world championship team, he's a contender for a medal. He goes home to a comfortable environment, which is two hour flight away. And he settles down with his girlfriend and he's with his family close and trails that he knows and eating his food that he knows and sleeping in his own bed. Like Jesse, what is Jesse's own bed for Jesse's whole career? She hasn't had an own bed because she doesn't have like strong, strong roots anywhere. So people are kind of missing that that side of things. Like, I agree with you. You might as well just race it out, race this out, see what's going on. But I also think you have to look at how athletes actually are looking and feeling. And Cork knows that. She's his personal coach. Um, They work really, really closely together. And it's really up to Cork and Jesse to make this decision. It's up to Jesse at the end of the day. Don't get me wrong. But in the pros, when when the variables are many and the, like I said to Gus, like the the needle is thin and it's hard to thread it, then uh, you have to make good decisions. And I think really cool to see your fight back today and and deliver like an amazing rate, like come from 40th to 8th. But again, like you said, we're spending a lot of time talking about it. People are spending a lot of time talking about this. It's because cross-country skiing doesn't have many stories. And Jessie's a big star and she's not Norwegian and she's answering yeah like really like sharply to norwegian tabloids which they love and then it just becomes like like a, a wave that won't stop and she tried to silence some critics today and she, and she did in in some ways but but like like gus was saying in the tour the, the best and worst thing about the tour to ski is like okay you silence critics today what you got for me lately because the classic sprint's coming on friday and, and and let's see let's see what you can bring there that said as well i do want to spend just like a a quick second with with uh with this because another story here in Norway that's getting a lot of airtime is how boring Claybo is and <clears throat> like he doesn't even like Jesse comes across the line and looks like she's been shot with a thousand guns and just like totally convulses on the snow and 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 Claybo like comes across the line taking his poles off before he gets to the line deadpan not breathing hard and the last couple of days, honestly, like some of the social media posts do from Jesse. And I like, I, we know how much I love Jesse. Like, this is the Jesse Deacon's appreciation podcast. We talked about this in Valmuster, But the fact of the matter is, I kind of missed Claybo the last couple of days. I'm like, you know, Claybo just doesn't say anything. He just crushes everybody. He skis beautifully and he just delivers. And like, you're reading all this stuff in, in Norwegian tabloids and like, these really dramatic like social media posts were like this is ski racing guys I don't know like do we need to be quoting like Canadian uh, anonymous poets um modern Instagram poets like after just doing a Nordic ski race like how attacked were we really like it's all kind of self-inflicted attacks too because of the way you're answering these media people like I don't know. It just like, it made me kind of appreciate the greatness that is playable. And I'm like seeing his stat line and being like, wow, he wins 50% of every world cup he starts. And I don't think I've ever seen him. Well, I've never seen him collapse. I saw him collapse once. And that was that the, probably the best cross country male cross country ski race of all time in Lillehammer, Norway, when Sunby dropped the whole field and he was 30 seconds back off Sunby and somehow came back to, to beat him. So it's rare. Is what i'm saying with Claybo, and i've I've never missed Claybo's boring take the polls off don't breathe and give a canned answer more than i have the last three days with the jesse diggins like sideshow that's been going on but great to see her come back and and great to see her have such a a wonderful weekend overall in the end like turn around like a total black day with that classic disaster like one of the worst outing she's had internationally in the last few years to turn it around and, and yeah, have the best time of the day there. I said
0: it. <laughs> not, not that. Yeah. Not that anyone cares about the time of the day. Um, I don't. Well, I mean, I don't know that there's too much to, um, to get into with, with the, I mean, you know, we had uh, pretty much almost identical podiums between, uh, between yesterday and today for the women's races with the exception of uh, trading out. Tiro Ludness Wang for, uh, on Shirse uh, Shers- Calvo, but, um, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to, to draw yeah. out from those races. I mean, it, yeah, it, I want
2: to draw, I want to jump in here and draw one little thing. And I want to know if you noticed the two Frida, who has also been, like you said, attacked in the media and having to stand up to like idiots, like Issa Metza, like Issa Metza, why the fuck do you have a job in the media when you're an EPO cheat? that disgraced your country. You should never be representing any of this sport ever again. You can go out and enjoy skiing and have fun. But like, why are we listening to you? No, you there's so many great Finnish heroes that we could be hearing from that didn't disgrace their country in a home world championships. Like, where's Maddie and Let's hear from but Yahoo RV is doing an amazing job as a as a pundit, cross-country ski pundit. You have like Pirjo Murenin. Uh, like Piero in back in the days, like you just have like this long list of like great Finnish heroes we could keep hearing from. But instead we have to listen to Isomatsa try trying to attack Frida Carlson, like get out of here. So that's my take on that. But Frida made some great tactical decisions today. I thought it was an amazing tactical race by Frida Carlson today. It was It was textbook perfect. And the fact that like she got caught, had to go to her plan B, her plan A, of course, today was to stay away and she couldn't. She got caught by Parmakowski towing up Tyril and Anasheersti, and the two Norwegians exploded spectacularly, bleeding a minute and a half at the end because the pace was too hot. Parmakowski hung on there to go with, with, with Frida, and they were skiing well together, changing leads. But then you saw when Frida tacked up the like halfway up the last hill, she put the same amount of distance that, that Parmakowski closed, well, two seconds less, so she put enough, she put fourteen seconds into Parmakowski in the last kilometer, and it was a masterful execution of tactics by Frida Carlson and hats off to her because it was a beautifully executed race. I talked about claybo throwing down hard in the in the uh, in the 10K for the men and Frida did the same in the women's. I mean, her 10K classic was a total masterful performance there. And, 16 seconds. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Total beatdown. And, and Frida's firing on all cylinders. It's super exciting. What I thought was fascinating was yesterday was her first tour to ski stage win. Today is her second. She's now in the driver's seat to take the, the tour to ski overall. She looks great. She's having fun and making good tactical decisions and skiing well. Like, what a what a great tour to ski for, for Frida Carlson right now. After like you said, a couple a couple tough additions earlier and and, and taking a lot of heat for for quote unquote bad tactics this set the other. We we also can't forget that Frida's twenty three years old. I was going to say the same thing. And meddling like Isometza and any other pundit to Frida Carlson. Remember, she was winning medals, not just one. She was winning individual medals in two thousand nineteen in Seyfeld in horrendous conditions as a junior. We talk a lot about how great Yohag is, or how great like Mart Birgen. Well, Mart Birgen's the best skier that ever lived. But what Frida Carlson has done in championships, aside from the Olympics last year, is unprecedented. Really, like she, she's incredible. She's an incredible athlete, and the way she's been racing here in Oberstorf makes me just thrilled to see what she can do in in de Yeah,
0: no, I I, I was going to say the same thing about you know Frida being twenty three. It's like. I don't know. I was making really bad decisions when I was 23. Um, So, you know, doing a few bad tactical miscues or breaking Jesse Diggins polls, like these, these are the kinds of things you should be doing when you're 21, 22, 23. Um, And, you know, to see, to see her deliver the way that she did today, like, you know, that doesn't make me psyched about trying to compete with her. If I'm Tira Lunas Wang or anyone else for the next Ten years. Um, well, that I mean, I don't have anything to add. You think? Uh... I think that's
2: it. I think we. I think we. I think we covered it. It's been exciting in in Overstore, really. And I think the tour de to ski, like we talked about earlier. I mean, you were kind of a Debbie Downer with the whole thing, and I'm I'm a, like just like a cheerleader of the tour de to ski concept. I think it's awesome. And while I miss some of the stages, like I miss the Cortina stage, and I miss the fact yeah. that they do a pursuit start up the last tail because I think it builds some drama. Um, aside from those things, I, I think we're, we're sitting with it with a really great tour de to ski. Of course, I, I was hoping like all the American fans that uh, and I anyone that asked, I'm like, oh, yeah, Jesse Diggins is going to win this. And, and that's not going to happen. That That's a little sad. But a beautiful performance by Jesse today was a real highlight of, of Oberstdorf. And, and, and like you said, tour to ski final climb. She can also win cross the finish line first because it's a mass start. And she could win the final climb. And this is something that she definitely could do. So, so Jesse Diggins fans that want to see um, the white knight rise again, uh, they have another opportunity this, this Sunday because uh, Diggins will be one to contend with no matter what happens in these classic races. And, and she is inspirational to the young athletes out there that, that that have some adversity and stuff like that. And she's tough as nails and that was on full display today and gave the American fans a, a lot to cheer about.
0: I'm looking forward to job for Rosie too. Good job to oh, Rosie yeah.
2: too. I think I think before we before we sign off like Rosie kind of gets forgotten she was 13th today same as Ben Ogden in the men's side of things but Rosie's just been silently skiing all around the top 10 this entire tour to ski. She struggled with some illness earlier in the season and uh she's showing a lot of grit here to to be very stable. so it's fun to to cheer on Rosie who's who's sitting a little better in the overall Tour to ski standings and, you know, could, could, could fight into the top five, top six in this. She's a good classic skier and she's been classic skiing at a high stable level. So um, Val de Fiume could be really fun for American fans looking to follow the overall tour standings as well.
0: Yeah. Rosie's an eighth uh, and I think, you know, less than a, a minute out of uh, top five for sure. Um, maybe next year they'll make you the race director, Devin, you can fix all these problems and then they'll put me in the television production truck to ride herd on these idiot German uh, producers and uh, everything will be good to go. We'll, yeah. we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back in a few days. Uh, we'll have three stages in, in Val de Fiemme, and then we'll uh, come back to you guys uh, after the final climb up the Alp Chermi, Jeremy. Chermise. I don't know. It's hard. Chermise. Say Chermise. Yeah. We can buzzer it. It's fine. It's fine. hard to pronounce. Yeah, it's it's uh, well, yeah. Um, cool. All right, we'll we'll see you guys in a few days. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.